welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. This podcast is an all-in-one devotional, essential for anyone trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in today's world. Each month, we'll release four different episodes, including stories from the field, preaching, and conversations with special guests. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Hey, my name is Joss. I'm part of the team at Open Doors and I'm honoured to be reading from God's Word with you today. If you wanted to grab out your Bibles, we're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. I'm reading from the NIV. So Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile Himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Well, hello, everybody. It is Mike here from Open Doors. I am so excited and happy to be with you today as we get a chance to look at the persecuted church, maybe learn some lessons together on what it means to more courageously follow Jesus, no matter the cost. You know, a couple of years ago, I spent some time looking at the 10 things God's passionate about, the 10 commandments. I thought to myself, is there something I've missed? Is there... Is there a lesson, a life lesson that I could use that might grow me as a Christian or, or help me in my faith? And as I spent time looking, I guess, more closely at each of the commandments, there was one that I just couldn't escape. One that in so many ways left me reeling. A lesson that two years ago I learned and today is still with me. And, and I think that's the way that you can actually measure the impact of a lesson is is how long the change lasts. And for me, it's a change that has stuck with me for two years. And today is as vivid as it was two years ago. And so I want to share that with you today. And my hope is that it will impact you too in the way that it's impacted me. So what was it that changed my life? Well, it was the third commandment. Thou shall not use the Lord's name in vain. If you're anything like me, you've spent years thinking this meant not saying cursing words like, God or Jesus Christ as essentially swear words or stuff like that. But don't get me wrong, that's definitely part of it. But there's a more literal translation of this commandment from the Hebrew that actually reads, you shall not take the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not take the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. I mean, it's crazy, right? Seriously, think about it for a moment. Worthlessness. If we if we use a dictionary definition of worthlessness in the commandment, it would read as follows. You shall not take the name of Yahweh with no real value or use. For example, you shall not say the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, flippantly, without respect, without honor. If you're like me, when you hear this, your heart it starts to skip a few beats. Maybe your ears get hotter because you realize, well, we break this commandment all of the time, and more than that, we most often break it at church. I mean, why is it that I can stand at the front of a church, preach a message on Satan, and everyone, everyone will be worried 
or at least concern that I'm talking about the devil, where I guess you could say that that concern translated, well, it's an element of fear-based respect. Yet each week I can talk somewhat casually about a God that breathed galaxies into being, a God that created you and I with a purpose and a plan for his glory, a God that put breath into our lungs and could snatch it from our lungs in any moment. Yet I'm not moved by the absolute sacredness of his name. How can I pray and use the word Lord multiple times, but not be absolutely floored by it? In some of the earliest cultures, people wouldn't even say the name of God because it was too sacred. Some cultures would refuse to even write God's name because it was such a holy and respected, revered word that to even write it would do a disservice to the reverence that was due to his name. Or if you take the Lord's Prayer, for example, what's the second line? It says, hallowed be thy name. And yet another example in the Bible where we're instructed to give absolute honor and respect to the name of God. Not cursory respect or a, a need-based respect, but that kind of knee-bending, face-to-the-ground, all-encompassing respect. The guy that started our ministry, Brother Andrew, has always said, if we truly knew the power of a prayer, we'd be asking God for things a hundred times of a day, things that will turn the world upside down. So let me ask you, what worth, what value, what respect do you place on the name of God? As I thought more about this and in relation to my own life, it reminded me of a story about a man called John Harper, a man who knew the true power and respect that was due and to be given to the name of Jesus. And I wanna read you his story today. It was the night of April the 14th, 1912, when the Titanic sailed swiftly on the bitterly cold waters, heading unknowingly into the pages of history. On board this luxurious ocean liner were many rich and famous people, and at the time of the ship's launch, it was the world's largest man-made movable object. At 11.40 p.m. on that fateful night, an iceberg scraped the ship's starboard side showering the decks with ice, ripping open six watertight compartments, and the sea poured in. On board the ship that night was a man called John Harper. He had his much beloved six-year-old daughter, Nana, on board with him. And as soon as it was apparent the ship was going to sink, John Harper immediately took his daughter to the lifeboat. In fact, it's reasonable enough to assume that this preacher could have easily got on board this boat to safety. However, it never seemed to have crossed his mind. He bent down and kissed his precious little girl. Looking into her eyes, he told her that she would see him again one day. And the flares going off in the dark sky above reflected the tears on her face. As he turned and headed towards the crowd of desperate humanity on the sinking ocean liner, it was only minutes later that the Titanic had began to rumble deep within. Most people thought it was an explosion, but it was literally the ship breaking in two. John Harper was one of the people that night. There were 1,528 people that went into the frigid waters. John Harper was seen swimming frantically to people in the water, leading them to Jesus. Before hypothermia became fatal, Mr. Harper swam up to one young man who had climbed up onto a piece of debris. Reverend Harper asked him between breaths, are you saved? The young man replied that he was not. Harper then tried to lead him to Christ only to have the young man who was in shock reply no. John Harper then took off his life jacket and threw it to the man. He said, here then, you need this more than I do. 
He swam away to other people and a few minutes later, Harper returned to the young man and succeeded in leading him to salvation. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water that night, only six of them were rescued. And one of them was that young man on the debris. Four years later at a survivor's meeting, he stood up and in tears recounted how John Harper had led him to Christ. You shall not use the name of Yahweh with no real value or use. John Harper, a guy who in the face of death realized that the name of Jesus is not something you keep to yourself. It is worthy to be shared with the broken, with the lost, and in those in desperate need of salvation. A true understanding of the value and the worth due to his name it materializes into action. John Harper transformed and changed lives as he himself was losing his own life. A good friend of Open Doors, David Platt, is a world-renowned author, pastor and leader. And in his book, Radical, he says the following, Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. We owe Christ to the world, to the least person and to the greatest person, to the richest and to the poorest person, to the best person and to the worst person. The opposite of worthlessness, it's worthiness. Something that is deserving of respect, of honour, of value. At Open Doors, we work with people who are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. People who not only know the real value and power of the name of Jesus, but they also know the sanctity and the privilege of using the name of Jesus. People who allow his name and the power of his name to create strength, to create courage that is beyond belief. It reminds me a lot of a girl called Susan. She's from Uganda, she's 14 years old. She's got one of those beautifully round Ugandan faces that when she smiles, a whole room lights up. But her story is anything but easy, but it is a story that indisputably acknowledges the sanctity and the power of the name of Jesus. Susan was from a staunchly Islamic family. And one day when she was attending school, a visiting preacher came along and like most of those visiting speakers in schools, at the end of his talk, gave an altar call to people and said, hey, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, well, please come to the front. And Susan responded to that call. That afternoon, Susan raced home and she told her father. Her father was a well-known and highly regarded police officer. He was furious. In fact, he grabbed Susan and a younger brother. He dragged them outside the front of their house. He called all of the neighbors, told them to gather around. He held a knife to Susan's throat and said, Susan, if you continue to follow Jesus, I'm going to kill you and your brother. He dragged her back inside. He took her to a room in their house. He placed a mat on the floor made of banana leaves. He said to Susan, you sit on that mat and you do not move until you're willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Susan's father turned around, left the room, locked the door, but he didn't return to that room for three months. The only way Susan survived was that when her father was out, her younger brother would dig a hole under the floor. He would pour water into it for her to lap up like a cat. And on occasion, when he had time, he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to her too. After three months, the neighbors asked her brother, where's Susan? Her brother told them. They called the police, the police came and there she was, they opened the door and Susan was sitting on the mat. In fact, her hair had turned yellow because of a lack of sunlight and nutrients. The bones in her legs, they'd grown and conformed to the way she'd been sitting and she weighed 20 kilos. They picked her up and rushed her to hospitals where open doors bumped into her. 
And as I'm sure you can imagine, one of the first questions we asked her was, Susan, when your father was out, why didn't you try and escape? Without missing a beat, she looked back and she said, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I'd be denying Jesus. And I could never do that. 14 years old and has this trust-filled respect of Jesus that says, if I was to leave that mat, I'd be denying Jesus and I could never do that. I mean, worthlessness, it never seemed to cross her mind, did it? There's power in the name of Jesus, we know that. But there should also be reverence, respect and honor in his name too. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. And that's my challenge to you and I today. A challenge that my hope is will stay with us forever. A simple but life-changing lesson from the scriptures. It should change the way you pray, the attitude you come to church with, and more than that, the response you have each and every time you hear someone use the name of God. We heard in our reading today about the supremacy of Christ, a beautiful piece of scripture that so powerfully illustrates Jesus and his majesty. But I want to finish by reading to you maybe a more contemporary illustration of the impact of Jesus. It was written by a doctor from the USA and it's entitled Jesus the Evangelist. And it says and reads as follows. He was a boy in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in yet another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a big house. He didn't even go to college. He never traveled more than 250 kilometers from the place that he was born. He did none of the things that one would usually associate with greatness. And he had no credentials but himself. When he was 33 years old, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away from him. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. Listen to this. 20 centuries have come and gone. And today, he is a central figure of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected life of man on this earth as much as Jesus Christ. Socrates and Aristotle taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Jesus taught for three. Yet the impact and influence of Christ's three-year ministry, it far outweighs that of Socrates, Aristotle and Plato combined. Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, they received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, yet Dante, Milton and scores of the greatest poets in the world were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music, still Hayden, Handel, Beethoven, Bach and Mendelssohn. They reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns and symphonies they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been affected by this humble carpenter from Nazareth. If the name of Jesus Christ doesn't first move us, how will you ever expect it to move others? Because to be honest, we're either a consumer of the gospel or a contributor to the commission. We worship the son of the most high God, the creator of the heavens and earth, a God that if we don't praise him, even the scriptures say the rocks will cry out in praise. Our worship, our reverence, the respect or the worth we place on his name, it's not something 
we're called to do from time to time or when a need arises. It's a lifestyle defined by radical obedience to God. And as I said before, it affects everything. It affects the way you speak, the way you give, the way you lead, the way you serve. It affects your attitudes and ultimately it affects those around you. The Christian walk, it's 0% or 100% black, white, in, out. There is no middle ground. And that's because we're not following an institution called Christianity. We're following a living God who walked the earth and today walks the earth through his spirit. Our faith and the level by which we measure it, it shouldn't be based off a set of rules, expectations or buzzwords that have been established by this Christian pop culture. It should be defined by Jesus who walked with broken people, ate with sinners, loved the unlovable, stood in the face of religion. He met with the rich, met with the poor. He led with character and a set of principles that he wouldn't compromise for any one or any deal. He didn't care about things like brand, fashion label, return on investment, number of likes on Facebook or Instagram. He wasn't worried about looking awkward if saying no meant that the right outcome was achieved. And on top of all of that, he loved a dying and broken world with a passion that couldn't be fueled, stopped, watered down or contained, and ultimately laid down his life so that we, a sinful, broken and dislocated group of people may have eternal life. Why is the name of Jesus worthy of our respect and honor? Because he took the weight of our sin, our shame and our disrespect, and he wore it once and for all. All we have to do is look around and the world acknowledges Jesus. There's no disputing it. We have Christmas because of Jesus, Easter because of Jesus. We measure time, BC, AD, because of Jesus. In fact, the word eternity, it means nothing outside of heaven because nothing scientists have found in all of creation lasts for eternity. Sun, moon, stars, nothing lasts for eternity other than heaven. We heard that every single sphere of human greatness has been enriched by a humble carpenter from Nazareth. Either it's the greatest lie in the history of the world, a lie that has convinced millions of people throughout history, kings, rulers, armies, leaders, business people, university scholars, academics, musicians, artists, and the list could go on for hours, or it's real. Thou shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. So the only question to finish is, do you? Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. We hope the life-changing stories and lessons from the persecuted church help you follow Jesus, no matter the cost. To find out more, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Bethany Ross, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.